Welcome to another episode of Learn with Bestern, where we discuss the latest trends in leadership development, self-development, as well as well-being. There's so much information out there. We want to make sure we bring in the latest insights and research based on neuroscience and behavior change to give you the tools that you need to make a change in your personal and professional lives. Join us on a journey to learn more. We hope you enjoy this episode and don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with others that might find it helpful. I think it has become a second nature in Learn with Besson uh, to look at self-development and human psychology with kind of a twist. So this time we say, so we always hear books, podcasts, interviews that are full of discussions on positive mindsets and successful actions. And we often understate the role of failure to build fulfillment. So I found the right person to discuss about that topic is a Terry Tucker, who is with us today, he has been a college basketball player, a marketing executive, a hospital administrator, a SWAT team hostage negotiators, you know, the guys that you see in television, <laughs> a high school bas basketball coach, a business owner, and most recently, um, he was a cancer warrior. And he's also the author of a book that I found quite interesting. The book, is name, the book name is Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Lead in Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. So what I found interested, interesting is that the book is structured about 10 principles. And I, I got hooked with this number eight principle saying fail often, especially when you are young. So here, we are talking in the middle of the, all these flowers that we were describing about success. So we find the topic of failing as a way to have an excellent life. Terry, what I would like to know, so where does it come from? How did you add this, this part about failure? And is there any personal story behind that? Why did you feel necessary in your book to go on the topic? Well, Ivan, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. Yeah, failure, you know, when, when I wanted, when I thought about success, when I thought about excellence, failure has to be a part of that. And, and people are like, no, it doesn't. I mean, you know, you, 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 when you're successful, you're not failing. That's true in a lot of ways. But at the same time, if you think about where do we learn about failure? Where do we learn about being defeated? We start out in our lives with our caregivers, whether that's our mother or father or, you know, grandparents or siblings or whoever's, you know, raising us, we learn about failure. And we learn very early on, winning is good, failing or losing is bad. And so, I mean, I don't think anybody starts out in life or to start a project or to start a business or anything like that with the idea like, hey, I think I'm gonna fail. I don't think anybody does that, but people don't understand that you can take failure. I think the road to success is paved with failure. Anybody who has ever succeeded, if they say, hey, I've never failed, I would be extremely skeptical about them saying that. But people get devastated when they fail. They feel like there's something wrong with them 
if they do. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's just, it's something that we, we get to the point where, you know, if you fail, that's okay. That's okay. If you quit, that's different. You know, if you fail and then stop, then you're a quitter. But if you fail and you learn, then you're a smart individual. If you take what you failed with and say, okay, what did I learn from this? But I'll, I'll tell you this, here in the United States, and I can only speak of the United States, we are great about starting down the path towards a goal, something we want to do, something we feel good about. And then we butt up against an impediment something gets in our way and we can't get around it. We can't get over it. We can't get through it. And so we quit, but we just don't quit. We've got to blame somebody. We got to find somebody to blame. It's like, we got to blame our parents or our boss or our station in life. Very few people take personal responsibility for their own success and happiness. So failure is a part of success and, and I totally believe that. I don't think there's anything you're ever going to say to me that's going to convince me otherwise. Indeed. When you're talking about it, I was thinking about, for instance, when we think about famous in inventions, like there is this inventor called Thomas Edison. I think he's American, by the way, <laughs> who invented the bulb or electricity. I don't recall exactly, but I mean, we don't know how many failures he has been going through in order to find the good solution. And the thing is that we are constantly formatted by the society in order to cover up for our, our failures. So we don't know like, if somebody like Elon Musk, how many times he has failed. We don't know how many, well, we know the story about the founder of Apple that, that he had a couple of failures also in, in his career, but it's something that we usually are pre-programmed to don't talk about it. So when we are doing something bad, and, and I, I'm thinking a little bit about all of these examples that there is about countries doing things that are pointless, going into wars and failing somehow, and not talking about it, not learning from that so that they start again and they repeat it again. We, we talk about corporations doing extreme things in, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of the way they communicate on the, uh, about their products, failing and not talking about it, forgetting about it, removing. It's almost like we are programmed in order to survive, to not talk about failure, which is something like a stigma that has, been, uh, that has been anchored in our biology and on the way human beings have, been, have, de uh, have developed. Uh, so according to you, where do you see this origin of, of this stigma associated with failure? Uh, is it, and, and based on your experience, is, is it the same failing as, um, is it the same failing as an entrepreneur or, or in, in our love relationships or in sport? Is, is it perceived in the same way? I, I think in a lot of ways it is. It, it, it's, I mean, failure, as long as you don't learn, Failure is a bad thing. If you can learn from failure, that's good. And I really do think it goes back to our caregivers. And, and, you know, I started thinking about when I wrote the chapter in the book, I started thinking about why, why do people fail? You know, and I think there are, there are several reasons. They're, they're at the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, they're, they're, they're behind the curve. And, and so, you know, they're not going to be successful. They, they, they don't lack confidence or, or they do lack confidence. They, it's like, oh, I, I don't know if I can do that. You know, that's something I, I, I really want to hang, hang back on. 
they don't put in the effort. You know, people think, oh, hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to go out there and all of a sudden I'm going to be a millionaire or I'm going to be living in the big house and driving the great car and stuff like that. But there's a lot of effort. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And I know that gets thrown out a lot, but there really is a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to make it to the top of the mountain, you know, to be successful. And, and, and then, you know, people just, they, they're afraid of success. They just, they just don't want, it's like, oh, what if I get it? How is it going to change my life? So there are all kinds of reasons why we fail, but I really think, you know, I mean, we are like sponges when we're kids. We watch what our, our caregivers do, what our parents do, you know, what our siblings do, what our friends do. And, and think about it, when we go to school, you know, if you get an A on your report card, you're successful. If you get a, an, an F on your report card or a D on your report card, you're not so successful. You're, you're kind of a failure. If you get a C, you're an average kind of person. So we rank people in terms of, you know, their success rate. But wait a minute, if I put in the time and did the best I could, even though I may have gotten a C, does that make me average? Does that make me a failure? As opposed to somebody who, oh, this is really easy. I'm not going to have to put in a lot of time, but I'm, I'm going to get an A. I'm going to do great in this class. So I, I think at least here in the United States, we're, we're kind of off on how we determine whether somebody is successful or somebody is a failure. But I really think it starts in the home. It starts very early in life. And I'll give you one final example. Our daughter went to a school here in the United States during her first three years in high school. And there was such an emphasis. We were living in the state of Texas, which is a pretty big state. Mm. And, and the state school, the University of Texas at Austin, was the desirable school where everybody wanted to go. But think about that. Not everybody can get into that school. If you, but some of the parents acted like their kids were failures if they couldn't get into the University of Texas at Austin, what if they got into the University of Texas at Corpus Christi or at Houston or something like that? Did it really matter in the scheme of things of this person's life that if they didn't get into that school, they were a failure? I mean, talk about your parents setting you up for failure. That that was, a, I, I just, I kind of stepped back and I looked at my daughter and I'm like, you know what, wherever you want to go to school, you can go to school. It doesn't matter where you go. It's the effort you put in and what you get out of it. I see two trends in our society. Um, and maybe because we had this crisis with uh, COVID that people had the time to rethink a little bit about the life purpose. And I, I saw the trend of that is constantly repeated in corporations is about having vulnerability, vulnerability so that the, the fact of being ourselves and being able to communicate in a genuine manner, things that we are good at, we are bad at. So there is a trend, a necessity that has come out of the fact that the way we work has changed drastically. The importance of mental health in, in our society finally got a little bit of a spot. So when we were all excited pre-COVID, making money, progressing in, in, in the society, we didn't realize it. And suddenly we got a small break to think about our position in, in the world. And we start thinking about this type of thing. So that has made that a lot of, uh, of the mindset in, um, in corporations has, has, has changed. And the, 
the other trend that is almost kind of the opposite is that we are always, because of social media, we are always comparing, benchmarking ourselves versus what we think is success for others. So we look at someone in Facebook and we say, oh, this guy has a car, has, has a Ferrari, has a beautiful house. This is the level of success. So it's almost like if we had to redefine success, we need to be, um, we need to create a moment of self-awareness to create, to dig inside of us about what is important for us so that we can define our own measures of, of success. And, but this is super hard for human beings. This is, is I, I even think that there needs to be like a biological reason. And I was thinking about that, Terry. And I, I was thinking that like a comparison. So there is two people, a risk taker and a risk averse person. So our human common sense will tell us that the risk averse person, the one who doesn't dare to do things because he's either afraid of failing or has higher chance of survival. So that's the type of life. Like most of us, we try to choose something where we have less risk, so less chances of, of failing because we are going to be feeling judged. Uh, is there anything, do you see something wrong with this type of people, these risk averse people who doesn't take any risk of failing? Is there anything wrong at the end, according to your perspective? I think everybody's got to determine how they define success in their lives. And, and yes, we, we are terrible about comparing ourselves to other people. You know, I want what they want. Mm. Well, why? And, and I, you know, you talked about, you know, there's something biological in us. Is there something wrong with, with the way we're approaching things? And I think the answer to your question is yes. I think you, 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 you've hit the nail on the head. And, and here's where I think we kind of go off the rails. We want to be successful. We want to develop goals that will lead us toward success. Hmm. The problem is we haven't defined our values yet. Hmm. You can't have goals. Well, you can. I don't know if you're going to be successful in those goals. But if you can first, before you set goals, before you develop New Year's resolutions, before you do all the kind of stuff that we seem to do every year, and you know, the department's got to have goals, and you've got to have individual goals, and the company's got to have you know, a mission statement and all that kind of stuff, that's great. Back up a little bit and define your values. What do you believe in in your heart? What's the thing or the things that you're willing to die for? You know, what are you, what are you willing to die on that hill for? And when you define those in your life, then coming forth and saying, okay, here are the goals that I want to achieve in life. That's great because now you've tied those goals to something. And that something is your values. We make goals, but we don't tie them to anything. You know, do, what do we time? We time the money or, you know, power or influence or something like that. Those are all transient. Those don't matter. I know a lot of people are like, what do you mean it doesn't matter? Those don't matter in the scheme of your life. They really don't matter. What do you value? What is important in your life? And I've always believed that common, ordinary, and unmotivated people in life do nothing, do absolutely nothing with their lives. Uncommon, extraordinary, and highly motivated people can change the world. There's a, there's a man by the name of uh, Ed Milet here in the United States. He's, a, he's a, a coach, he's a life coach, 
And he, he talks about the four types of people in the world. He said the first, per, first type of people are the unmotivated people. And he said, that's the vast majority of people in the world. He said, the second type are motivated people. And, and those are just people who say, okay, Terry, if you sell this many cars, then I'll give you a bonus. So it, it's really kind of carrot and stick thing. Very low level, very easy to accomplish. The last two are the most important type, but the fewest out there. The first one is inspirational people. And inspirational comes from that word in, in spirit. These are people that um, they, they inspire you to, to you know, they, they, they do more than motivate you. I'm going to grab a note here because I have these things written down and I want to make sure I get this. I'm doing the same. In fact, I'm yeah, exactly. I, 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 I love when I find these things and I write them down. So these are people that are, you know, they have energy. They, they you, you look at them and you're like, yeah, I want to be part of that person's sphere of influence, whatever that is, whether it's their inner circle or their outer circle. But these are people that inspire you to do things. And then the last group and the most important is aspirational people. And these are people that aspire you to be better. They aspire you to be smarter. They aspire you to care more. They aspire you to love more. They aspire you to be more. And, and so if you look at those four types of people and then just ask yourself, what category do I fall into? You know, and how do... I get out of the category I'm in and get better. How do I do that? And again, I think that goes back to what do you value in life? What is important to you? And then say, okay, how, are, how am I going to put these goals in place that are going to allow me to get to where I want to be? So I think those four types of people are, are, are really important. But I also think it's the vast majority of people are just common, ordinary people. They're just going through life. They're casually living their life. And as a result, their goals, their dreams, their ambitions become a casualty of that unplanned living. Hmm. The, the, the challenge with the first category, the vast majority that we say that are unmotivated is that in our brain, basically motivation depends on the level of effort that we have to do. Like say, I need to allocate some time to do certain things, like even deciding what is a priority for me. And we don't allocate this, this time because we perceive it as, a, as an effort, something that is going to be gigantic. I'm going to think about the meaning of life. Wow, it is, well, some, in reality, it doesn't have to be like that. So it's almost like to convert somebody unmotivated to motivate it, we have to get rid of the importance of motivation and we need to create like a mental process to make it easier to move from one side to the other from not doing anything to action. And that's that's the trick where we, I mean, I have been in this case for, for years. I, I, I can tell you to, to move myself to, I don't know, to, to have a healthier lifestyle, for instance. It took me, it took me time. Um, so, can, can I can I just follow up on that real quick? Yes. Let, let, let me let me make this suggestion as to how you can do that. I, I totally agree with you. Motivation comes from within. It, it's something that we have to motivate ourselves to do. Well, how do you do that? And I think the 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 one word I'm going to throw out you throw out at you is this word habits. 
what are your habits? If you have good habits, then you can be motivated. You can say, okay, I want to eat healthier. Okay, how am I going to do that? I'm going to buy better food at the grocery store. I'm going to prepare it the night before so that I can have a healthy breakfast and stuff like that. So you put good habits in place that allow you to be motivated and you get rid of bad habits. Hey, I want to have a healthier lifestyle. I'm going to stop smoking. You know, yeah. I'm going to not drink as much alcohol. I'm going to get more sleep. I'm going to exercise, whatever you're going to. So if you put good habits in place and you are and you are motivated, there's a very good chance in life that you're going to be successful. The problem, and I think you figured this out, is we don't put those habits in place. It's like, yeah, I want to be motivated, but I, I, I don't know how to do that. Put good habits in place and you can be motivated. Exactly. These habits do not have to be like big, like changing my lifestyle from one day to the other. It, it can be built in a small little right. portions so that we, we replace a little bit all this programming that we have in our head about not believing or uh, in our capacity to, to make things happen. And we can relate it back to the, to the, to the idea of doing things that are amazing in, in life. Very often, the, the barrier between doing amazing is our... Uh, risk aversity, saying, okay, if I do that, I'm going to fail and I'm going to be judged. And we don't take the, um, the time to create these little habits who will help us little by little go towards losing this fear of, of failing. Like, I mean, just to mention a, a personal example, like before I went into entrepreneurship, I had to practice myself <clears throat> being a little bit less risk averse because I'm a very conservative person. I come from a, a low socioeconomical background. I was afraid of losing money. That's something that was paralyzed me, paralyzing me. I thought that my family needed this amount of money that I was getting out of my corporate job in order to be happy. In reality, I mean, I had to find out pre-leaving my job things that will help me convert into somebody who is less risk averse. Hmm. And that makes me think, uh, in fact, that about what could be, I'm a type of person who likes thinking about numbers, what, how can people assess the opportunity, opportunity cost of embracing failure? What are we losing if, if, if we don't do a, a little bit of practice of failing, but under control, not like breaking your, your, your life above, but it is more about practicing fa failure. What should happen when uh, when failing in order that it becomes beneficial for someone. Yeah, and, and I think what you were just saying kind of goes back to what we were talking about a minute ago with, you know, we're, we're comparing ourselves. You know, if, if I do this, what, what are people going to say about me? You know, I, one of the chapters, one of the other chapters in my book is most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using one. their minds. <laughs> and, and, and to me, that's the chapter that resonates with me because I've done that. I've done that a lot in my life where it's like, oh, you know, and I always say this, especially to younger people. If there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not gonna be the things you did they're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. So, you know, who cares? I mean, and, and I've done this. I'm like, oh, you know, I should probably do that. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not smart enough. 
You know, maybe I don't have enough experience. Ooh, what are people going to say about me if I fail? Again, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. What? Who cares? Who cares what people say? You are living your life with your unique gifts and talents and interests. You're not living somebody else's life. So why do you care what other people think? So that's the first thing I would say. And then really, I guess the answer to your question, the one word came to my mind, learning. You know, if, if we can fail, that's okay. It's okay. Nelson Mandela, the former president of South Africa, had a great quote. He said, I never, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And it's like, man, if everybody approached things that way, if everybody approached failure in that regard, okay, I, I, I failed, I didn't win. So what did I do? I learned. What did I learn? Okay, can I use what I learned and apply that to my current business, my current job, my current position? Or can I take that and totally change things around and, and find a, a different job, a different position, a different company that I want to that I want to found. And, and I think as long as you learn, as long as you continue to grow, and I think that's an important part, not just in business, but in our lives as well. We should be lifelong learners. I want to die learning. I want to die understanding things that I didn't understand before. But people don't do that. They get to a point, they're like, I'm comfortable. I know what I need to know to have a successful life or to have a life that makes enough money for my family or, you know, gets me through the day. But those are the common and ordinary people. Those are the people that are like, I've got enough. There's never enough. There's never enough knowledge. There's never enough learning. There's never enough grit. So make sure you keep learning. And I think if you do that, that's going to help you in terms of dealing with failure. I, I really think that you, you, you have said it just spot on. If we want, we can decide to have an ordinary life. So no risk, just doing the things that we're doing. Everything is expected. We reach that and ciao. Now, if we really want to have a extraordinary life, we need to allow ourselves to fail and learn, to have, because only extraordinary things can come out of daring to do something that is that you're not supposed to, to do. And we, and I want to go into a personal question, Terry. Um, so is, do we have to be uh, like in a, in a position of, of thinking or feeling that we are losing our life in order to really think about all the possibilities that we have, or can we, if we have a normal life, decide to change into an extraordinary and dare to do things, more things, or do we have to be like, in your case, the, the, the fact probably, and, and I'm, I'm doing a big assumption, uh, the, the, the fact that you went into a life-threatening situation, made, did it make you reconsider your life or you, it was already, you were like that before? I, I think a little bit of both, to be honest with you. I am I am probably coming to the end of my life. I have I have tumors in my lungs, which I am constantly being treated for. Every three weeks, I go to the hospital. I just finished a treatment last week uh, for those tumors. Yeah, and I think when you start to come to the end of your life, you sort of take a step back and say, you know, what's really important in life? What what is my legacy 
going to be here. And, and I don't have any, I mean, nobody's going to name a street after me or put a statue up in a park or anything like that. Now, none of that stuff's ever going to happen to me. But one of the things that I learned, and you, you can't, you can't tell this from looking at me, uh, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And, and I played basketball from the time I started, I started at nine years old and I played all the way up through college. And I think you mentioned that. But one of the things I learned from team sports was the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. And I think you realize, regardless of what team you're on, is that if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life, you know, that we're all, we're all kind of mixed up with and such like that. So yes, I think that coming to the end of my life is, is sort of focused more on what is important. It's not money. It's not power. It's not influence. It's how can I make a difference? How can I leave this world a better place than when I came into it? And for me right now, that's being part of something that's bigger than yourself. <laughs> Listen, I, I find it quite inspirational because <clears throat> at the end, now I get, I understand and I have to thank you personally because now I understand why you are doing. So I, I noticed that you are talking in different uh, in different events about excellence, about how to to drive to to lead a life that is meaningful. And and I was trying to understand what could be the reason. And now I understand that it's about legacy. And legacy doesn't have to be the amounts of money that you have in your bank account because when you die, you don't bring that uh, with, with you. But it's about having impact. In people, in your case, for somebody else, it, it might be the, uh, different. And again, the sad thing is that most of us do not think about, we have to wait until we, we, we have something really tough happening in our life to reconsider our way of doing things. And that's not right. In fact, we should be able to consider things while we are completely fine, having a normal life in order to assess why we, we, we should, find a way to do bigger things than, than, than ourselves, that the, the immediate satisfaction of having stuff, life, uh, even if, if we end up our life broke, but if we have lived an, uh, an amazing life, what the hell, who cares? If we- Exactly, and, and, and that, you, you've hit the nail right on the head. And I think there, there was a Native American Blackfoot proverb that I heard years ago, and I'll share it with you. It goes like this, when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way. And I think that's those are the key words in this. First. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. It's not power. It's not money. It's not influence. It's not statues. It's not somebody naming something after me. It's did I live a life that now I'm rejoicing about? You know, I lived that life. It's great. People are crying. Oh, Terry's not here anymore. Oh, Ivan's not here anymore. Oh, man, that's too bad. That's the life I want to live. That's the life I want to live. And then when I die, it's okay to die. But so many people, are, it's not okay to die. It is okay to die. We're all going to do it. It's not a big deal. Find your purpose and live it. If you can do that, life, death is not nearly as scary. You are talking to me directly to the heart, Terry. I mean, I totally share it with you. I mean, for me, is that 
my two daughters have a good example of their father, that they have never been ashamed of, of, of me, that they have got somebody that they feel that I'm a little bit crazy because it happens that I do some crazy stuff, but I was genuine, I was sincere, I, I had good values. Um, yeah, in general, yes, I had good values, even though I am not that religious, but I had good values. <laughs> um, Terry, I, I wanted to ask you, what could be the your some of the tips that you could give for some someone to tame this fear of failure? How can, how can they start practicing these habits that you were mentioning? Is there any habits to make it happen? I think there are. And, and, and I try to do this every day of my life. And I, and I will suggest this to your audience. Do one thing every day that makes you nervous, that scares you, that you're afraid of, that, make, that is potentially embarrassing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It could just be something small. I'll give you an idea. I, I, I hate going to the dentist. I just, I just don't <laughs> like it. I, but the other day I picked up the phone and I called and I made my six month appointment to go in and, you know, and, and have my teeth clean. I, that was uncomfortable for me. It was, everybody's like, oh, that, that's no big deal. It's not a big deal. But if you do those small things every day, when the big disasters in life hit us and they hit all of us, you know, we lose somebody who's close to us. We get let go from our job. We find out we have some kind of a terminal or a chronic illness. All the big things in life that we know we don't want, but potentially are going to come down the pike. If you do those small things every day, when the big disasters in life hit, you're going to be so much more resilient to handle those things when they present themselves. And don't think that they're not going to happen to you because they are going to happen to you. Unless you live in a bubble and you don't care about anything or anybody else, you're going to have those issues. And the people that get through those issues, the people that are able to pick themselves up, dust themselves off and say, okay, I'm going to keep moving forward. Those are the people who are resilient. And I remember when I in, in 2020, I had my left leg amputated because of the cancer that I have. And I also found out that, that I have tumors in my lungs. And when I found that out, I went with my wife to the mortuary and to the cemetery and to the church, and I planned my funeral. And because I do these podcasts and, and I give talks on the, the need to keep moving forward and motivation and things like that, I actually got some brushback from people who suggested that somehow planning my funeral was in some way defeatist. And I had to remind these people, like the last time I checked, we're all gonna die. Don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. So, I, I mean, again, it goes back, find your purpose in life, live that purpose. If you do that, and you, 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 death is not gonna be nearly as scary. And your life purpose is going to be something that's going to be ups and downs. So do things every day that make you uncomfortable so that you're able to handle the big things when they hit. Another common point, uh, Terry, uh, I remember back when I, when I was younger, a lot of people find me a little bit morbid because I was thinking about, about that. And the fact is, I didn't think about that in, like, in a depressive way. I was thinking about that because I wanted to have a life where I have tried things, that I, I, I don't have just a common life, that I dare to, to do things. Even though I, I think for a big chunk of my life, I didn't dare to do certain things like staying too long in corporate. That's one, I still don't forgive myself. I waited too long. Um, 
But I guess that for me it was like an incentive to challenge myself to dare to do things. And I mean, it does, it's not morbid. It is not something that it has to be dark. It is something that is the incentive to go and try to, to make your life, the life of people around you, excellent. I mean, with story, I don't want to keep, for instance, money in the bank that I haven't used to give it to when I die, to give it to my children. I want to use it up when they are alive and they, I want to use it with me so that they have the memory, father, children doing stuff, crazy, but good memories, right? Oh, totally. And, and, and those are the things, it's the small things, it's family, it's love, it's friendship. You know, it, it's it's spirituality. It, those are the things that in life are are important. There, there's an old story. I don't know if you heard it about Alexander the Great. I, I, yeah. My guess is this story never happened, but it, <laughs> but it's still a great story. Alexander the Great, probably the, the biggest conqueror of, of of all times, was dying, and when he was dying, he he asked his counselors to come around and he said, "I want you to carry out my final three wishes." He said, the first wish is I want my doctors to carry my coffin to the grave. The second wish is I want the road to the cemetery paved with gold and silver and precious stones. And the third wish is I want my hands hanging outside of my coffin. And one of his counselors said, you're, you're Alexander the Great. You're the most powerful, most important man in the world. These seem like pretty ridiculous wishes. Why do you want these? And he said, well, first of all, he said, I want people to understand that no doctor cures anybody. All they do is they assist the body in curing itself. So, you know, for people that, you know, have those bad habits that we were talking about, that are smoking, that are drinking too much, that have too much stress, that are eating poorly, you need to help yourself, help the doctors to take care of yourself. So that was number one. Number two, uh, having the road to the cemetery paved with gold, silver, and precious stones, he said, you know, I spent my entire life conquering and accumulating wealth and power and riches, and yet none of that is coming with me beyond the grave. And then the third wish of having his hands hanging outside of his, of his coffin, he said, I want people to realize that I came into this world empty-handed, and I leave it pretty much the same way that I came into it. So, you know, I, like I said, probably that story probably never happened, but it's still a great story to kind of keep us grounded on what's really important in our lives. Oh, I really love that story. Uh, Terry, let me get back to the book because I, I wanted to, to, so we have been discussing about the the book is about trend principles, very practical. There is a lot of vulnerability inside of, of, of these principles. So we have talked about principle number eight, uh, fail often, especially when you are young. You mentioned, in fact, that principle number two, most people think with their fears or they have the mindset of fears. I don't remember exactly which one. So, but how can we start having a measure for the outcomes of excellence in our life? Is it something that we can tangible put? Because remember that the brain sucks at really quantifying success. So can we put a little bit of objectivity and say success should be these type of things? Is there a way to measure the outcomes of excellence in our life? 
I guess we have to define success. And, and I've thought about this almost my entire life. And, you know, what is success? How do we measure success? And, and the best definition of success that I ever heard was from a college basketball coach at the University of California at Los Angeles back in the 1970s, 60s and 70s, by the name of John Wooden. And this is his definition of success. Success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did the best to become the best that you're capable of becoming. Now, here is probably one of the most successful college basketball coaches of all times. But if you listen to that definition of success, and I'll say it one more time, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did the best to become the best you're capable of becoming. Now, here's a coach who gets fired or hired based on wins and losses. But if you look at that definition, it doesn't say anything about winning. It doesn't say anything about losing. It says peace of mind. Are you at peace with yourself knowing that you did the very best you could to become the best that you're capable of becoming? I mean, think about it. You know, we, we, we go to school. You know, we take, a, we take a math class in school. Well, you may be good in math. I may not be good in math. So we all can't get the same grade in math. But can I have peace of mind knowing that I did the best to become the best in that math class that I was capable of becoming? And if the answer is yes, then I've been successful. Even if I got a C in that class, Versus the person who got an A, hey, this is easy for me. I'm not really trying hard. Did you, you know, do you have peace of mind because you did the best you could? Well, no, not really. This was pretty easy. I didn't have to put forth my best effort. Success is putting forth your best effort and being comfortable with it in your mind to know that, you know what, I'm going to sleep well tonight. I did the very best I could. Uh, Terry, so... What you describe, what your coach said without knowing maybe, or maybe he knows about it. I mean, we, you, you are fully aware about the Maslow pyramid of, of need. So he's defining, in fact, having a harmonious self-actualization. So we are living the life that we are supposed to, uh, to live at the best that we can. And maybe that's one of the major problems in, a, in our society is that we are not, if we are not comfortable <clears throat> with we are not in harmony. This is what destroys a little bit our mindset to try other things because we, we don't see other solutions. Like I'm not good in math. So maybe I'm not good in anything. I'm not good for studies. So I'm going to try to find an easy way because I was meant to, to, to I grew up in a socioeconomical class that was not really positive or not really, I, I wasn't liking it. And then I'm going to decide for a way of escaping all my possibilities. And then this is where we feel completely down, crushed by the society because the measurements of the society are not dictated by me. And this is where that where in psychology we call cognitive dissonance. We, I'm not living, and my values is not in line with the society or the corporate that I'm working for or whatever we, we decide. And this is what makes today uh, has a good, uh, has a bad in fact impact in our mental health when we feel that we are not living the life that we, are, that we are supposed to live. And of course, numbers or measurements done by somebody else, this is what crushes 
really, really hard. Uh, <clears throat> Terry, so we are close to the end and I just wanted to, um, to share, to, 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 to have the possibility to say, so how, how we can, you can, people can get in touch with you. So there is two resources that I think that people are going to find quite interesting. First of all, because there is a lot of good resources in your website that is called motivationalcheck.com. Everything together, motivationalcheck.com. And then I found, found that you have um, like a membership club where people can have access to even more resources. And you have the possibility to download a free book in the website that is called Sustainable Excellence membership.com sustainable excellence membership.com and everything goes together and by the way we're going to write it down below this um, um uh, in the comments so that people can have uh, can have access tell me terry you need to tell me a little bit more about the membership what can i get if on top of the free ebook uh, basically it's a deep dive into each of the chapters in the book and it's here are some some tangible things that you can do to help you lead your uncommon and extraordinary life, to help you learn how to handle failure, to help you listen well. I mean, these are all different chapters in, in the book. So it's a it's a deeper dive into that. And I think and it's interesting for me because I've I I've never been part of a membership either on the giving side or the receiving side. But there's also a community in there where you can uh, meet with like-minded people. And, and you know, if, if I can't answer your question, and again, I, I, don't, I don't have all the answers, but I've got a lot of experience and I've been through a lot of things that I can probably help you in a lot of ways. But there's other people that are part of the membership that you can get access to. And I find sometimes people don't watch the videos that I put up, not because they're not good, but just because they find that they get more out of interacting with other people face to face and throwing questions at them. Hey, how did you do this? Or, well, here's, here's what happened to me. And sharing that those experiences, which are like, oh, okay, that's another human being who actually did something. So it's a deep dive into my book, but it's also a, a chance to interact with other people that want success, that want to be excellent, and once they obtain excellence, they want to sustain it. So it, it's, I think it really gives you two things. It gives you access to live people and to me because I'm, I'm on those <laughs> in the community a lot. And then it also gives you some concrete things that you can do to make your life a little bit better. I love it because especially it's so necessary to have like a safe space to talk about things that yeah. matters for you. You cannot discuss everything with your colleagues at work. You're going to feel judged. Sometimes even families, you don't want to discuss every single thing, certain things, it, it's good, but it is good to have a specific um, safe space. Terry, one, it was lovely, lovely to have this discussion. I think that you have touched um, a lot of personal things in my heart, personally. I, I, I love your story. I love the way you convey with vulnerability your, uh, your personal story and the, the, the messages inside of, of your book. And I, I, one part that stays in, uh, in top of, 